Government bonds are supposed to be boring. Government bond auctions, even more so. But just recently, more people have been paying more attention to these government sales. Now, of course, last week we had the 10-year Treasury note auction, which nobody seemed to care much about because it went off as it was supposed to have. The next day, however, the 30-year long bond, different story. That auction was a little more interesting, so people pay more attention to that, as was last night's or early this morning's 20-year Japanese government bond, which was even more interesting in the same way the 30-year Treasury bond sale had been. What happened was in this 20-year auction, the yield at the lowest accepted price was 1.385%, which was a fair bit above the average yield accepted prices, which was 1.322%. And this was all for a nominal 20-year JGB or a JGB 20-year, which was paying a nominal 1.1% coupon. So people looked at that and said it required quite a little bit more yield to get the full auction sold, which rang of some alarm bells, the same ones that had been raised at the 30-year long bond auction in the U.S. Treasuries last week. Are governments reaching their limits? Are we seeing the impact of rate hikes and future rate hikes? Bank of Japan, maybe they're going to start doing the same thing. Is this inflation restarting? Is China about to unleash a flood of massive stimulus? What is going on with these auctions? In one sense, it may be the possible answer to the question that we asked yesterday. We have an inverted yield curve in the United States and around Europe, and the, the yield curve is going to uninvert in one direction or the other. It is going to flatten and then steepen either in the bull steepening case, which is bearish for the world as we talked about yesterday, or as the bear steepening case, which is bearish for government bonds, which is what, what we're seeing in these auctions, is that what we're actually finding across the global government bond sector? That's what we're going to investigate today. Have we ever seen the yield curve invert and then lead to the bear steepening case without a recession rather than the bull steepening case producing a recession and possibly worse? We're going to look through that, plus what's going on in Japan as well as the U.S. economy. But first... I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested in joining me again on September 1st, it's a Friday evening at 6.30 p.m., we're going to be holding a webinar. If you want to attend that, there's a link in the description below. Just click on that and sign up for it. We still have a few more days left of the Eurodollar University anniversary sale. That's on memberships and subscriptions. The Anniversary sale information is available at the website anniversary sale page as well, as well as a description of what the memberships and research subscriptions are all about. That's at eurodollar.university. And I'll also leave a link to the sale page in the, web, in the description here below too. This question came from Eurodollar University member Jorge, who wondered, okay, we've seen the the, the Bull steepening case, which is bearish for the entire world. That obvious, I mean, it's not hard to figure out what happens with that one. Rates go down, the world goes to hell. Uh, it makes perfect sense. But what about the opposite? Have we ever seen a case where we got maybe inverted on the curve and then the market said, oh, I'm wrong. Maybe this is not the bull steepening case. And then suddenly the curve bear steepened from that, from that way forward, where interest rates rose and interest rates rose faster at the longer end than the shorter end, which would be bearish to owning treasuries. And so looking back through the last 60 years or so of treasury market data, 
at least the consistent numbers that we have, the consistent interest, instruments, the constant maturity numbers that we have from Fred and other sources, what you see is that not really. <laughs> There's not really any case for the bear steepening scenario. Now, there are instances where you see bearish U.S. Treasury markets, but those don't necessarily follow the uh, an inversion in the yield curve. We look back starting, say, in the 1960s, there was a modest inversion in the three-month 10-year Treasury spread in late 1966. There was only a near recession or mini recession around 1967. And then afterwards, you see rates go higher and the curve steepening. So in the late 60s, the early part of the great, great inflation, there was that case, but it wasn't the full inversion. It wasn't a big inversion. And it was only a modest sh a shift in, in interest rate trajectory, which was overall continuing to rise through the great inflation, the early part of the great inflation. You look at the 1970s, there's you know all sorts of bear markets. The entire bear, the entire 70s was basically a bear market in bonds, but shifts back and forth, they were not... You're just typical business cycle shift that we're, we're, we're used to seeing where curves invert before the recessions and then they the curves steepen out afterwards. So not the case that we're looking for here. In the 1980s, uh, moving forward another decade, there was another mini recession or near recession in 86 and 87 where you saw interest rates go down and then the curve, you know, interest rates rose and nominal levels rose in the later later stages of the 1980s, but you didn't have any inversion there. The curves did steepen out 87 into 88 and 89, but again, that doesn't fit the circumstances that Jorge asked us to investigate. Instead, it's just another bear market in U.S. Treasuries. And of course, then the curve inverted in 89 into 1990, then the SNL recession, 1990 and 91. The the prior example, which may be closest to our current environment, and really not all that much, that's the 1997-1998 Asian not financial crisis. That was a regional dollar shortage which affected Asia, basically a rehearsal to everything that we would see in 2007 and in 2008, including in September, bottleneck, September 1998, the failure of LTCM, which got the world briefly acquainted with shadow money, shadow banks, and the way the modern monetary system actually works. We also did have some very minor, minor curve inversions, but like the two-year, 10-year spread, for example. That did get tiny bit inverted around June of 1998. But then by October and really November 98, moving forward into 99, that's where you see the real bear steepening case, where we have a small level of inversion at that particular part of the yield curve. And then not really a recession. There was a slowdown in the United States. There was, of course, there was, of course, major economic consequences around Asia in particular and the rest of the world. Russia, too. Let's not forget that one. But the U.S. avoided a recession. Europe avoided a recession. Um, it was, again, a regional dollar shortage producing a regional shortage around Asia. But that was only a tiny, tiny inversion between the two-year, 10-year spread. The more, the wider, broader curve, the three-month, 10-year spread, that one never inverted at all. It did flatten out a little bit and three-month interest rates did go down. And interestingly enough, the near-term forward spread did invert very very small amount and for a very short period of time too. 
but it wasn't it wasn't the full scale inversion that we see today certainly not anywhere close to the depth that we see today but it does fit the general outlines of what we're investigating here we had a period where the curve got a little bit interested in the negative downside and then saw that there was not going to be a recession, that the economic damage was going to be limited to the Asian tigers, not even really China to that to that extent, not the bear steepening case play out from late 1998 into 99 and the, eventually the dot-com recession in 2000. So that's the closest we can come to a moderate inversion and then the bear steepening case where rates rise and the curve steepens. It goes from flat to, to somewhat upside down to back out to where it should be, upward sloping with nom rising nominal rates. I don't really think that's applicable to the circumstances that we find, us, or find ourselves here today because the 2020s are nothing like the late 1990s. Uh, even considering LTCM, even considering what's going on in Asia. In fact, we see far more economic problems and already developed recessions in, place like Europe, in places like Europe than anything like the late 1990s. So if there is a bull steepening case developing here in interest rates, then it's got a high hurdle to overcome to make that case, even as rates are going up. And why are rates going up? Well, it starts with a number of factors, which we've talked about before, including the Federal Reserve or ECB, or even perhaps the Bank of Japan's rate hikes, which long-term investors have to factor into their equations. Because you're thinking, why would I own a 10-year at, say, 4% if I can get a 2-year that yields 6% or higher? So if rates are going to go higher at the short end, it's, it does affect your considerations at the longer run, even if you're still thinking that investment and in, you know interest rates are going to go down demand for safety and liquidity is going to go up in the future you still have to consider the short end of the curve too and that's you know in addition to rate hikes and central bank policies there's also a couple other factors too including issuance of debt the downgrade from fitch which is having a short-term negative impact or maybe having a short-term negative impact but another one which might be what might better explain the japanese case in particular is the worse it gets for China, the more likely some people believe, and some people in these markets seem to believe, that it's going to unleash or lead to the, the government in China, government in Beijing, unleashing a flood of stimulus. It's going to be the only way that they can rescue the economy from a hard landing or disorderly unwind in their real estate sector is if they go full-blown 2009 all over again. And if they go full-blown 2009 all over again, Perhaps that would be perhaps that would that would do enough. That would be enough to do the trick to to rescue China's economy there for everybody else. But more than that, in this environment, maybe that would be enough to get central banks to go higher. Maybe that would be enough to restart inflation. And it's an it's at least a concern that you would have to take into account, assuming you believe that, when you're investing in, say, 20-year JGBs. So the worse it gets for China, perhaps the more likely the Chinese respond in big, bold fashion. I don't think that's the case, but I can understand why some people believe it. The biggest problem that we have, not just in bond markets or interest rates, it's really a problem across all financial markets, is the high level of uncertainty that goes with what is essentially a binary choice. Either inflation and soft landing or deflationary recession and disorderly financial markets all over the place. There's not a whole lot of ground in between. 
And it's interesting the some of the updates that we got just recently, including today from the Japanese as well as the conference board, which really highlight this ambiguity, which we've been talking about all the time. And ambiguity is nothing new in these types of periods where we're heading into recessions or maybe avoiding recessions like 1998. The data becomes ambiguous until it settles and clarifies in one direction or the other, which is why we talked yesterday and are talking today about either the bull steepening case, bearish for the world, or the bear steepening case, bearish for treasuries and government bonds and JGBs, but would be bullish for the world. We're not a whole lot of in between here. And the conference board's leading economic indicator, the release or the update for the month of July, really shows exactly what we're talking about here. The leading indicators were negative, again, negative, uh, pretty substantially negative for the 16th straight month, which is consistent with the US economy in particular heading toward recession. But their CEI or current situation economic indicator doesn't show a recession at all. And this is what this, the conference board said. On the other hand, after talking about the leading economic indicator, which is showing recession, the coincident index or CEI, which tracks where economic activity stands right now, has continued to grow slowly, but inconsistently. There's the ambiguity with three of the past six months not changing and the rest increasing. As such, the CEI is signaling that we are currently still in a favorable growth environment. However, in July, weak new orders, high interest rates, a dip in consumer perceptions, the outlook for business conditions, and decreasing hours worked fueled the leading indicator's 0.4% decline. And the leading in the index continues to suggest that economic activity is likely to decelerate and descend into mild contraction in the months ahead. So right now, even the conference board's two series, the coincident index says everything looks okay. It's not great, but it, it, the economy is holding up fine, just as Jay Powell and the FOMC or Janet Yellen says. However, we see a whole bunch of signals and warning signs that suggest maybe a mild contraction. And of course, beyond the conference board, we look at China, we look at some of the other data, deflation and producer, producer prices in particular that suggest maybe mild contraction is actually the best we could hope for. So again, the bull steepener case, which is over here with the recession and the bear steepener case, which is over here with the soft landing, you've got the LEI on one side, you've got the CEI on the other side and people down the middle, nothing down the middle, and people are trying to make sense of all of this confusion and ambiguity, especially when the stakes are this large. Uh, to finish up here, let's go back to Japan because Japan just some just uh, released some more statistics, more pertinent statistics that were seemingly ignored by the Japanese government bond auction last night, but were not ignored by maybe the rest of the world because the Japanese again showed that for all the ambiguity and all the confusion and uncertainty in other economic uh, parts of the world or parts of the system, there is no ambiguity when it comes to global trade. We are definitely experiencing, the whole world is definitely experiencing a global trade recession. And the Japanese just put some more numbers on it. Um, and that's, it's particularly important because as we talked about just this week in an earlier video, Japan just reported a huge increase in GDP in the first in the second quarter of this year, 6% annual rate, but it was entirely based on exports. Exports that rebounded in the second quarter compared to the first quarter, despite the fact imports crashed at nearly a 20% annual rate, 
which actually helped propel. And that was actually the biggest contributor to second quarter GDP in Japan. So this is a different government outfit that puts together these trade statistics. And what they showed was, again, global trade recession. Japan's not going to be able to account on these types of the same types of figures that it did in the second quarter for the third quarter. For the month of July, nominal exports declined for the first time since February 2021. Yes, that's base effects involved in the calculation, but we still see volumes are decreasing. In fact, volume was down 3.3% year over year, and it's down 5% compared to July of 2021. So volumes continue to shrink. And what's important about the nominal decline is that now Japanese companies, like a lot of business around the world, even though their, their volumes are shrinking, they're selling less physical goods, they don't have the same nominal cushioning of rising revenues to help offset the lack of activity. So now Japanese exports are falling in nominal terms as well as in real terms, which means that's bad news for the Japanese economy. And it did the same thing even worse in imports, especially to China. Trade with China was just a complete mess. Exports to China were down 13% nominally year over year, down 16% year over year in volume. Imports overall contracted by 13.5%, which is actually good for the Japanese, which is contributing positive to GDP, but doesn't say anything good about demand in the Japanese economy, especially when you consider volumes of imports declined at a 4.2% annual or year-over-year year rate in July. And imports from China down 14% nominal terms and down 15% in real terms. And what Jap Japan imports from China is a bunch of materials and pre-assembled products that the Japanese then assemble and ship to much of the rest of the world. So that's not a good sign for the global economy either. Bull steepener, bear steepener. What is the treasury market doing right now? Are we in the bear steepening case? Are we seeing that? Well, we're seeing a fluctuation which is consistent with that, which we've seen numerous times before, but we still have all of these forward-looking indications. We still have serious prospects for what would be what would be behind the bull steepening case in the US Treasury market. And we don't have any really good historical analogs that suggest once the curve really inverts, suddenly the market says, oh, we're wrong. We got this all wrong. Let's steepen from here. If you missed that video from yesterday on bull versus bear steepening in the treasury market or any curve, check out the link below me. I'll put it down there. As always, thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers and our Eurodollar University members. And until next time, take care.